Hello, and thank you for tuning in to the next episode of the Okinawa Karate Podcast. My name is Josh Simmers, coming to you from the birthplace of karate, Okinawa, Japan. Today, I bring you the Ishinryu Chronicles Part 2. In Part 1 of the Ishinryu Chronicles, I sat down with Sensei Andy Salone, and he described his journey through the martial arts. During that interview, he spoke about one of his senseis being a man named Harvey Kennedy. Kennedy Sensei has 52 years training in Ishinryu, and enjoyed many years competing in tournaments back in what could probably be described as the golden era of karate tournaments in the United States. The competitions might be over for Kennedy Sensei, but he is still very active in teaching his current students. Please sit back and enjoy this episode and part two of the Ishin Ryu Chronicles. Today's episode is brought to you by the Mianchi Studio and Coffee, located in Okinawa City near the Grand Mir Resort. If you're looking to enjoy a nice cup of coffee or tea with a delicious pastry or some dessert, please consider visiting the Mianchi Studio and Coffee. Mianchi Studio and Coffee is owned by Kazufumi Miyazawa, the former lead singer and sanshin player of the band Boom. Boom was quite popular in Okinawa back in the 90s and early 2000s, and what do you say we roll into this interview with one of their most famous hits, Shima Uta. Tuning in to the Okinawa Karate Podcast, I am Josh Simmers, coming to you from the birthplace of karate, Okinawa, Japan. I am joined once again today with our Ishinryu friend and sensei, Andy Salone. Uh, you might remember the first interview I did with, with Andy Sensei, Ishinryu Chronicles number one, we called that, a few months back, which was a very highly popular podcast. Um, for a time period, it took the number one ranking of most downloaded podcasts. During that podcast, Andy Sensei talked about a particular individual by the name of Harvey Kennedy, who was his sensei years ago back in Louisiana. And we're very fortunate at this time because Kennedy Sensei is here visiting us on Okinawa. So without further ado, thank you very much, sir, for sitting down with us. Thank you, sir. Let's start at the beginning. Well, I attended Louisiana Tech University in Ruston, Louisiana in 1967. And I saw little poster on the bulletin board there in the dormitory, karate classes. And that really got my attention. My only uh, exposure to martial arts before that, when I was much younger, visiting my cousins in Memphis, Tennessee, my uh, aunt and uncle took me to a judo demonstration. It was in a very small room in a house, and I was very impressed with that. And actually took a few judo lessons in middle school or junior high school just for a few months at the most. Uh, didn't take it seriously. But I'd also seen Bruce Lee, I think, in the Green Hornet TV series and some ninja in a uh, James Bond movie. And that really piqued my interest. And so when I saw this karate poster, I immediately had to go watch this demonstration. It was a demonstration being offered at a dance school off campus and I went and watched and it was Sensei Bill Pogue and he just did a demonstration by himself. He did a kata and I think broke some boards and things and I was just super impressed. Yeah. So I signed up immediately. I was one of his original students of about 20 
college kids there. After a few months, we found a uh, professor there, a physics professor, Dr. Galley, who sponsored us as a on-campus club, and so we got to work out in the apparatus room of the Memorial Gym there at Louisiana Tech. And Sensei Pogue taught the classes, I believe, twice a week. I forget it was a Monday or Wednesday or Tuesday, Thursday kind of arrangement. And he met a girl that was from El Dorado, Arkansas, and uh, ended up opening up an actual dojo there, downtown El Dorado, Arkansas, about a year later maybe. And so I would go up there with him two nights a week and then uh, work out at the tech club two nights a week. So I advanced fairly fast. And that's how it all started, Louisiana so Tech. What's uh, something that comes back to me with my time with, with Andy during his interview is uh, one of the first introductions that he had with martial arts was also judo. And that struck me kind of interesting because I had never seen judo when I was a kid growing up in, in Pennsylvania. There must be something going on down there in Louisiana, I guess, at that time. I don't know if that was the, the thing going on in the South or... But this was at someone's home you went to see this judo demonstration? Yes, in Memphis. So the, it was a sensei's home that did a demo, or how did... I'm not really clear. I just remember it was a, in, a, in a home, basically. <laughs> That's pretty interesting. They had, they had the t Tommy match laid out in this room and... Probably couldn't do that these days. So a physics professor at that university sponsored Pogue Sensei to, to allow him to teach. On campus, right. On campus. And it became the Louisiana Tech Karate Club. Did he also become a student? Oh, yes. Okay. Was there any background to that, to that professor in martial arts prior to that? No, I don't believe so. He was, just had an interest in it, probably for similar reasons. One of the things that comes up for me is I've done an interview two times now with a physicist from Germany mm. who is, he, he's uh, uh, an individual that took first place at the tournament that we had last, uh, last August here in Okinawa. Took first place in the Psy division and uh, I interviewed him and it was really interesting the way he looks at his martial arts and the way he looks at using his body based off of physics. And then I just interviewed him again. I'm still piecing that, that interview together. I did this one with video down at the KaiCon where he did some demonstrations, the proper way to punch. Uh, so I, I'm wondering if that physics professor back in the day also looked at it as a way of, hey, this is kind of interesting to use my <laughs> way to use my body. But did he ever indicate that or give any? Yes, he did. Okay. The way we make our Ishinaru fist and yeah. the vertical punch, the alignment of the muscles or tendons in the wrist. So that was something that, that he obviously saw and, and was interesting to him as well. Uh, Mr. Uh, Pogue, um, I think, is quite well known, especially in, in America. I'm not sure about the overseas, um, but he's he's obviously a well-known master as well. Um, and boy, maybe one day I can journey to, to Michigan. That's where he's at, right? No, actually, he lives in Shreveport now. Oh, he does? Yes. He Wasn't did. he up in... Uh, he was. He's originally from Michigan. Attended Louisiana Tech in Louisiana because his uncle was a chemistry teacher there, I believe. Okay. But after a couple of years at Tech, he moved back to Michigan. Uh, and then about eight years ago, he moved back to Shreveport. He liked the South, the Cajun culture. Okay. Does he have a dojo down there now, too? Uh, he did for a while. 
Okay. He's, st he's still very active in the martial arts. Okay. Yeah, let's pick up after after university, after college. From what I understand from reading your bio, that's uh, about the time that you opened up your first dojo. Is that correct? That is true. I graduated from Louisiana Tech in 71 with a degree in professional aviation, commercial pilot's license, but my interest was martial arts, so I moved back to Shreveport and opened up a dojo. Didn't know a thing about business or running a school, but that's what I did. <clears throat> I opened up, advertised in the paper and so forth, and my first class I had a total of four students. <laughs> that's better than some first classes I've heard of. And talk mm -hmm. about going out on a whim. You graduated uh, with a degree in avionics. Aviation. Uh, aviation. I'm not going to pursue that anymore. I'm going to go out here and I'm going to teach karate instead. Wow. So with four students, that was the start of it. Yes, it was. And uh, fortunately, not too long after that, we met at a tournament a guy named Dennis Gocher. He was one of Alan Steen's students in the uh, Texas Black Belt Academy, I believe it was called. Alan Steen was a very professional businessman had multiple locations and he I believe had learned his business acumen from June Ri. and uh, so Dennis got with Sensei Pogani and gave us some business lessons and that really made a difference in running the dojo and, and running it more as a business professionally than just a club so to speak <clears throat> so things built up took a few years I uh, ended up selling my contracts. At that point, we were selling memberships on a contract basis. I ended up selling them to a finance company and taking a lump sum payment, uh, about $25,000 in, in uh, cash for all my paper. But unknowingly at the time, there was a clause in there that any of the contracts that went bad that they couldn't collect on, I had to replace it with a new contract. So things kind of went downhill from there because as people would quit paying, they wouldn't pursue it very, uh, very heartily, and they would make me come up with a new contract to replace it. So as fast as I could sign them up, I was losing those contracts. So ended up closing down uh, for a short period of time. Kept active in martial arts, of course, and taught some private lessons. And one of the guys that I taught private lesson wanted to open a dojo, and he financed it. We bought a building and remodeled it and opened up again and kept going. The trials and tribulations yep. of contracts. Trial and error. We've gone full circle in that area. Nowadays, it's just a month to month membership. We no longer do contracts, we try to retain the members through you know, good quality service. The new dojo, uh, were you and your, you said your student had, had financed it, you went through, you remodeled it. That was, uh, that was the second dojo. What year was that? It was the 70s. Okay. Late 70s, I guess. Late 70s, early 80s. There was one there. in the bio that I read. It was Dixie National Karate Studios. Well, that was the first one. Studio, okay, and then Holistic Fitness. Holistic Fitness was the the newer one that we okay. had the partner that financed it, and we would remodel this old building and wasn't in such a good part of town. It was a nice dojo. We got up to close to a hundred students active, and we were with the uh, Larry Doak's Easy Pay system. 
which was an automatic bank draft, basically, on their checking account. And uh, he was one that said, you know, you're, if you want to get bigger, you're going to have to get a better location. And that's what we did. We moved to a much nicer part of town, leased a building at this point, the other one we had owned. And I've uh, been there for the last 26 years now at that, oh, that location. It's on a main street next door to a McDonald's, so it's a good location. Yeah. Yeah. Is this the one that... Middle school? Yeah. And this is where you started, Andy? Okay. Okay. All right. And that's where you're at present day? Yes. Okay. And uh, how many students do you have currently? About 170. 90% of them kids nowadays, though. It's a kids thing. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's... That's fine with me because I enjoy teaching the kids. Yeah, good energy, good spirit, typically. Yeah. Why do you think that is nowadays, Sensei? Why do you think it's it's primarily a, a kids thing? Well, I think it was the, the, the MMA, the full contact martial arts, the, and then Krav Maga and the Jiu-Jitsu, the Gracie Brothers. I think a lot of that, people are more interested in, in that aspect now rather than karate per se. Which is funny because when I first started martial arts back in 67, uh, I mentioned that I was taking karate lessons and my great uncle said something about jujitsu. See, jujitsu yeah. was a much more proper word back then. Matter of fact, if you looked in the yellow pages back then, martial arts were listed under jujitsu in the yellow pages. Okay. And then later it was karate, and now it's under martial arts. Yeah. <clears throat> what was it? How did your uncle know that? What was his knowledge that was he prior military and i think from the military okay uh, and at that time when he said that he was my guess is he would have been referring more to japanese right japanese not the brazilian jiu-jitsu no. that didn't come on board really i guess until 80s 90s i wonder if things are going to come back around full mm -hmm. circle again then um do you know of the adults that you have there now what is their ages What's the age range of the adults that are training with you? 30s, 40s, 50s. Yep. So there's a, and and approximately where do the children cap out? Do they stop around the teenagers? Teenagers, yeah. yeah. That's kind of what we see even here in the birthplace of karate. Back 25 years ago when I first moved to my current location, it was mostly adults, older teenagers, college kids, young adults. Just the opposite now. So what I'd like to talk about, if we can, is a little bit of the tournament. Ah, years. tournament. Um, well, that's what we lived for back then. Yeah. Back yeah. in the 70s, 80s, and even in, into the 90s. It was all tournament-oriented. We'd live to go to a tournament somewhere nearly every weekend. Uh, and that's where I got to meet a lot of great guys, like Bill Wallace, particularly. He was one of the first ones. Uh Joe Lewis, Jeff Smith, I've worked out with them. The uh, some very famous names there. Yeah, I went all over the U.S. Really, back in those days, I competed in tournaments all over the South. Of course, Atlanta, San Antonio, Austin, Dallas, Jackson, Little Rock. Uh, I hitchhiked one year. I think about early seventies. Hitchhiked to Miami for the USKA Regional Championships. That was a that was a story all by itself. Yeah, I got picked up by some army guys. Had a German wife uh, going through Atlanta, I believe. I got picked up by an 18-wheeler 
driver and ended up driving this 18-wheeler, <laughs> grinding through the gears. That was crazy. You drove it? Yeah. At his insistence, you know. Wow. Well, I guess, did you tell him that you uh, you were qualified to be a pilot? So then he said, well, apparently you're no, qualified to drive no. <laughs> He was trying to get extra time. He just wanted right. to get those miles. <laughs> I know it was night. I was somewhere stuck on the road. It's the first cold night of the season back in November, I believe. And I didn't have a, even a jacket on. I was freezing. And finally, this these couple of drunks picked me up. They were weaving all the road. They took me out to a deer camp, and I got to spend the night and get warm. And the next day, they drove me back out to the highway. <laughs> got picked up by the cops going through Florida because I was hitchhiking on the interstate, so I had to cut, catch a bus those last few miles into Miami for the tournament. As a matter of fact, the tournament had just started when I got there. I missed Cotta competition. Uh, this was what year? Uh, sometime in the 70s, mid-70s, I guess. You can't do that. Yeah. You didn't make it. We drove, me and a roommate and another friend of ours that went to Karate Club, we drove to New York City one uh, weekend or a long weekend to compete in the Henry Cho's World Championships or something like that. Uh, one time I was up in Detroit visiting Sensei Pogue and he had Joe Lewis in for a seminar and we flew to Milwaukee for a tournament together, the three of us, Joe Lewis, Bill Pogue, and myself. Had, had fun at that tournament. Of course, back then it was, you know, you go to the tournament and then you party at night and mm -hmm. go out drinking and chasing women and whatnot. These tournaments that you were doing, Kata Kumite. Right, that was pretty it, much it back then. That was then. it back then, okay. You could enter both divisions. and So you would you would see a lot of the same people then right. all the time, competing oh, yeah. against the same people and then sure. hanging out with them at night. Right. What and you were you were Ishinryu. Right. From from day one and, and when you started in '67, what were the other people considered at the time? Was there was there, there was the views that you saw, or was it just kind of a conglomerate of this is karate? Yeah, there was a lot of Shotokan people, a lot of Taekwondo people, uh, and various other styles. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And you'd be out there competing. And now, how did you compete kata? With an Ishinryu practitioner, a Shotokan practitioner, or something else, how would how would the judging go in an open tournament like that? Well, the, there would be normally five judges, five kata judges, and they would try to get judges from different styles. Like there would be a kung fu judge, a taekwondo judge, a Shotokan judge, a shoinru or shurite judge. Like a lot of tournaments that we went to back then were USKA tournaments. The old USKA, the association under Robert Trius. Okay. What's your fondest memory of, of the tournaments then? The actual competing, uh, the, the, the camaraderie? The camaraderie, I'd say. Yeah. And of course, the partying afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> was there, there was payouts at these tournaments, depending on how you play? Very rarely, just trophies. Just trophies. Some of them had you know, $100 first place in the black belt division. Basically, a little more than your entry fee, perhaps, yeah. getting it back or something. Yeah. yeah. The tournaments uh, eventually started to kind of fade away in, what, the late 80s, early 90s, is it, in the U.S.? Well, they became a lot more common, a lot more of them, and they became more local and regional okay. rather than the bigger you know, tournaments across the U.S. Okay. In the kumite that you were doing at that time, uh, 
was no no gloves, no foot protection. It, right initially, there. it was. Yeah. Oh, it was okay. No, I mean initially it was no pads, no pads. whatsoever. So before June reinvented the pads, basically. Okay. Sometimes we'd wear the little light cotton gloves, you know, fist pads, yeah, shin pads. That's about it. And this was full contact knockout. Oh no, it was just point karate. Oh point, okay. But it was okay. It was a lot more serious than the point karate now. It yeah. was, you, know, you had yeah. some good thumping involved. Pretty heavy points. Yes. <laughs> yeah. At some point, things started to move out of the tournament scene, at least the large scale tournaments, more local. And then you had you had got involved with doing more and more. I think seminars. Is that correct? Yes. Whereabouts did that happen? And is there a, a particular reason that 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 started to happen? Well, I guess pursuing a more rounded education in the martial arts, martial arts technique seminars and business-related type seminars. Like we attended the Karate College in Radford, Virginia. Uh, I can't remember the gentleman's name, Dr. Jerry Beasley. Yeah, Jerry Beasley. Jerry Beasley. And, and Jeff Smith was there working with him. Went to that several times. Went to a Junri seminar in Austin, Texas at Brian Duffy's Kempo Dojo. That was a big one as far as learning new business techniques, running a dojo professionally. Okay, one of the first tournaments I hosted back in the mid-70s in Shreveport, we uh, had some big tournament competitors for that area at least. Uh, Demetrius Havanis, Kipper Mullins... Uh, Roy Kerbin. Matter of fact, Roy Kerbin, that was just after he had split away with from uh, Alan Steen. And supposedly Alan Steen had blackballed him, and nobody was supposed to allow him come to compete in their tournament, but I did. And after that tournament, the next week I got a phone call from Alan Steen threatening to beat me up next time he saw me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, did he ever come see you? No. <laughs> and I stayed away from his area after that. <laughs> yeah. So he was pretty serious about not having that guy involved with any more tournaments. So. Yeah. Since then, they've become good friends, of course. Oh, okay. In addition to Andy, he's probably one of my more well-known students. Uh, another student of mine, he was in the Air Force there at Shreveport, which Barksdale Air Force Base is next to. His name is Richard Washington. And after he uh, got his black belt, he got transferred here to Okinawa, and he won the ok All-Okinawan Strongman Competition. And we called him, affectionately called him Whip because of his kicks. Whip Washington. Whip Washington. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. Big tall guy. Is, do you know if he's still training somewhere now? No, he's a pastor now. Pastors can still Yeah, they could. They can teach. I have a good friend yeah, in could. North Carolina. He doesn't. He does. <laughs> back, back to the tournament scene, though. Something took place in 1991. According to your bio, you were a member of a three-man Louisiana team. Ah, yes. That was at a USK tournament. Sensei Pogue, myself, and one other gentleman in the team competition. And we ended up beating the team from, I think, Venezuela. For the grand championship team match. How does the team match? It was a three-person team, and it was a total points for all three matches. Kata Kumite? No, just three Kumite three matches. Three Kumite matches. And because it was a three-person team, 
did each person have to go? Did you have to fight all three no, of their just, uh, competitors? They just matched them up somehow. One, 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 okay. And then took uh, the best best two out of three here. Right. Okay. And that was at the USKA 1991 Championship. Yes. I don't recall what city it was in. It was in uh, New Orleans. Where did I get this? Was it, it the Karate USA I read? Oh, no, no, no. This was off of the Hall of Fame. The issue Hall of Fame. Oh, yes. Outside of being intrigued when you saw Pogue Sensei for the first time, what kept you training for so many years? When so many other people walk away after five years or even less? or I don't know. It was just something in my blood at that point. It just something I was had a high interest in and uh, just kept kept doing it. I don't know if there's any one particular thing. It's just kind of a, a way of life by that point. No turning back. Right. <laughs> At least not now. Do you also train in Kobodo Sensei? Very little. I enjoy working with the bow and the nunchaka. Still pick up the tuipa every once in a while. Yeah. That's about it. I have here in your bio something that's kind of interesting. You were inducted into the Museum of Champions. Yes, yes, it's called the Arklatex, Arkansas, Louisiana, Texas, because Shreveport's located in the northwest corner, about a 15-minute drive from the Texas state line and about a 45-minute drive to the Arkansas state line. So that region or area is referred to as the Arklatex, and it's the Arklatex Museum of Champions located there in Shreveport in the convention center, and I was Honored to be uh, inducted into that a number of years ago, back in the 90s, I guess it was. And there's other uh, people from the Shreveport area that are in it that I share it with, like Terry Bradshaw, who I also went to Louisiana Tech with and oh. had a physics class with there at Tech. Uh, David Times, a fairly well-known golfer. Um, Freddie Spencer is a motorcycle racer. A number of other athletes from the Shreveport area. Is there uh, many other uh, karate masters in, in that? There's a few other ones, yes. Yeah. Uh, they represent uh, Taekwondo and Kung Fu. And the Ishin Ryu Hall of Fame, you were inducted in that as well? Yes. August of 2008, is that correct? That's correct, yes. If somebody comes up to you, a child, let's say, or a parent with a child, and they're interested in getting into martial arts, but maybe they don't necessarily know what they want to do, jiu-jitsu is so, Brazilian jiu-jitsu especially, so prevalent now, and I think Taekwondo still is in America, and this and that, and different, different, different styles. Uh, but they come up to, to you and they say, why karate? Why Asian Ryu? Or why not Brazilian jiu-jitsu? Is there a selling point one way or the other? Yes. I tell them it's one of the better systems for self-defense and physical fitness. And today, the way I teach it, it's not just Ishinru. We teach some jiu-jitsu. I've been to a number of uh, Gracie jiu-jitsu seminars in the past and even worked out at their dojo out in California. Uh, so we incorporated some ground techniques into our system. And we teach a few of the Taekwondo-type kicks and the keto moves, wrist locks and joint locks. So it's it's more of a blended martial art nowadays than just strictly Ishinru. 
Do you teach Kobudo as well to the students? Yes, uh, the bow we teach to below black belt students. Once they get black belt, they can start working with the Sai and the Tuifa. Okay. And then nowadays, we've actually started a leadership program, and we introduce them into the Nunchaka, and soon also the Kama in the leadership program. And that can be all the kids, seven and older, all ranks, basically. Okay. What is the emphasis for the leadership program? <clears throat> Teaching communication, how to speak loud and clear, how to make eye contact, you know, speaking with your body as well, nonverbal communication. Where did you pick this up, this idea? Was this part of one of the training seminars that you had attended? Yes, from the Mastery System. Greg Horton in Rhode Island. I've been going up there every couple of months for the last year and a half now. You hitchhike up there? No. <laughs> Not anymore. <laughs> Catch the plane up there. If someone wanted to get a hold of you, Sensei, if there's a dojo website, uh, an email address, or a phone number that I can I can share with the listeners. Yeah, the email is kkarate at bellsouth.net. Kkarate at bellsouth.net. Uh, the website is kennedyskarateusa.com. Uh, nowadays, in addition to the martial arts classes, afternoon and evening classes. We, in the last three years, I guess, we've started an after-school program and a full summer camp program. So the camps, during the school year, any holidays that the Cattle Parish schools are out for vacations and breaks and whatnot, we offer full-day camps at the dojo. They can drop them off as early as 7 a.m. in the morning, pick them up as late as 6 p.m. in the evening. It's mainly for you know families that work. Mm -hmm. and have to have something their kids to do Supervised. when they're at work. Yep. And then we have uh, all 12 weeks of summer that the kids are out of school, we offer weekly camps. We go on day trips every day, like one day we go to the park, one day, one day we'll go to the swimming pool, one day we'll go to uh, something special like bowling or rock climbing or uh, trampoline park, and we do field trips every day. We do some martial arts in the camp, but it's not a karate camp. It's uh, just a fun camp. Oh, one other thing. On top of the pilot's license, did I did I read on, on your bio that you have a tattoo studio? I do. Well, that's another thing I learned from Sensei Pode. Uh -huh. After he went back to Michigan, uh, after Louisiana Tech, he got into tattooing, and I would go up there and visit him and watch him in his tattoo studio. Fast, easy money, so I learned tattooing from him. Came back, opened up a tattoo studio also. And I've had that other business through you know, present day. Although I retired from tattooing myself about three years ago, I still do the piercings, and I teach the piercing class at Sensei Pogue's Tattoo School. And that's when he moved to Shreveport about eight years ago. He moved his tattoo school down this report also so I started teaching the piercing class have you done some pretty interesting tattoos over the years yes <laughs> very interesting ones <laughs> probably on some interesting parts of the body exactly <laughs> save that for a different podcast <laughs> yes how about, how about karate related tattoos oh yeah a lot of kanji yep and they come in with energy and tell you what they want. Right. You, know, you, you claim no responsibility whether it's accurate or not. Right? <laughs>
So, what are your thoughts? The first time in Okinawa, what are your thoughts uh, on the island? Uh, Congested, you had mentioned. Yes, yeah. very tight buildings, but uh, very friendly people, and uh, I've enjoyed it. Since this is your first time coming over here, uh, what would you tell first-timers coming to Okinawa? Any bits of advice? Soak up all the karate history, and Andy would be the one to be your tour yes. guide. Yes, he would. He knows all the famous places, <clears throat> Yep. all the history. Sensei, any last closing thoughts? Well, I'd like to give credit to uh, Arsenio Advencula. He's the one that I base my katas on. We used to have him come in for seminars very regularly back in the 70s and 80s and probably early 90s. I think Bill Gardo was the first one that had him come down for a seminar. Not too long after that, Sensei Pogue and I went and visited him at Paris Island, where he was stationed at the time. And then uh, Sensei Pogue started the IKA, the Ishinur Karate Do Association, which was had members in Louisiana, Texas, Arkansas, Mississippi, Alabama. Anyway, we had, had a yearly seminar. And we'd have different practitioners come in to head the seminar. Like one seminar we had, uh, Advincula, of course, and uh, Sensei Pittaway, who's Sensei Pogue's main instructor out of Michigan, Alan Wheeler, who was in the with Long for uh, Harold Long for a long time, out of Tennessee. We've had uh, Norbert Donnelly come down, Albert Mady from Canada, uh, Peter Carbone, who's the weapons master, Kobido master, Sensei Advincula, in my opinion, one of the better Ishinru people, technicians, historian, and so forth. But there are many, many, many others there that we've learned from over the years. Well, Sensei, I really do want to say thank you so much. Well, thank you. Yeah, I've wanted to come to the island since I started Ishinru you know, 50 years ago. Yeah. And I wish I had come 50 years ago, but uh, finally made it. Yep, yep. Well, it's never too late. Yep. It doesn't have to be the last time, so. And who knows, maybe I'll come track you down in Louisiana someday. Yeah, please do. Okay, thank, you, thank you so much. Really thank appreciate you. it. Thank you, Mr. Sloan. We'll do it again.